1: GD on the fan all over D.C. and in Richmond, wherever you are, on the Odyssey app. Remember to kick off your future with the law firm of Kandori and Murad. They can help protect your assets, update your will and trust, schedule a free estate planning strategy with one of their Fairfax-based attorneys. Visit kmlawyers.com, mention the show, score yourself a discount, that's kmlawyers.com. Two chances today for you to win tickets to go see the Wizards. The first of those opportunities right now at 800-636-1067. Caller number 10, congrats. You're winning a pair of tickets to see the Wiz and the Nuggets. Get to see the Joker. Sunday, January 21st, Capital One Arena, Kids Day at the Arena presented by Ticketmaster. The first 5,000 fans are going to take home a G-Wiz Squishy. For tickets and more event information, go to thefandc.com slash contests. Get another chance to win at 6 o'clock this evening when we talk to our buddy Mark Schlereth. But right now, let's go to the BetQL guest hotline. Bet smarter to beat the books. Download the BetQL app. Visit BetQL.com. Robert Mays, the athletic football show, joins us on the fan. Robert, thanks for a few minutes. How are you?
2: Doing well, guys. How are you doing?
1: Doing very Good well. Uh, before we get to this weekend's playoff games, I actually want to start with the coaching cycle. Uh, when's the last time we had this much star power? Not sure... Where these guys end up, or if all of them get jobs, but Jim Harbaugh, Bill Belichick, Mike Vrabel available. This is abnormal, right?
2: Yeah, it's abnormal, and it's almost like a perfect storm. The amount of things that had to fall into place for this to happen is kind of wild. You know, Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll, obviously in their 70s. What happened with Tennessee, where they try to get everything they can out of that aging core with Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry, it falls short. They lose an offensive coordinator, two offensive coordinators during Vrabel's time, they fail to really replace them. So you have a guy who's a very good head coach, but the record really wasn't commensurate with that for a couple of years. Now he's available. And then the Jim Harbaugh thing just happens to coincide with that, where he went to national championships and stuff hovering over Michigan. And you've got a cycle where you've got four or five quality head coaches, four or five big name head coaches. And there are some years where it feels like we have none. So it's kind of wild to look.
3: So usually we get the, the usual array, Robert, of of hotshot young offensive assistants. And there are a couple, I guess, in this cycle. Bobby Slow comes to mind. But it's, it feels like there's not as much interest for the Shane Waldrons, the Brian Callahans, guys that have, you know, have done a lot with not that much, uh, you know, Canales in, in Tampa Bay. Why do you think that is? Is it because they're getting overcrowded or overshadowed maybe by the star power? I think it's a combination
2: of things. I think that the Shanahan-McVay tree has been well picked over at this point. I mean, for the most part, all those guys who are longtime assistants for, that, for those two organizations that kind of are the trees in vogue right now most of them have already gotten jobs. You know, we're already talking about Bobby Slowick potentially getting head coaching looks, and this is a guy who's been an offensive coordinator for one year because of how few options there are off of that one specific coaching tree. So because that cupboard is a little bit bare, there just aren't that many options. And even the guys who are going to be mentioned in this cycle, you know, two guys that come to mind are Brian Callahan from Cincinnati and Frank Smith from Miami. Neither of those guys call plays. So I think this is a trickle-down effect, in my opinion, of what the last six to seven years of coaching hires and the coaching cycles have looked like because all of these offensive coordinators have gotten hired to call plays and all of these guys off the Shanahan McVay coaching trees have gotten hired to be head coaches. There just aren't that many guys left. And then you combine that with some really good defensive coaching performances this year. So again, I think it's coming from multiple different directions.
1: Robert Mays of the athletic on Grant and Danny. Uh, what do you make of Adam Peters to Washington to run their football department as their GM? And then the Commanders head coaching, opening, the fact that they have the number two pick and the possibility of a quarterback. It's obviously a very exciting offseason here with new ownership in D.C. But from a national perspective, and give me your State of the Union on what might lie ahead.
2: Imagine five years ago, the Washington organization gets to hire a guy that wouldn't take other interviews in previous cycles because he was waiting for the right opportunity. Imagine that's what kind of job the Washington personnel head is That's that's his opinion of the job and his opinion of the gig. How difficult would that have been to imagine? And now it seems like we've arrived there, where this is a good opportunity. This is something that people want. This is somewhere people want to be. And I think that's the message being sent with a guy like Adam Peters, who had been in demand for the last couple cycles, deciding this was his time to jump at one of these chances. And I think that says a whole lot.
3: Where do we go from here? In other words, like the hire is exciting, everyone knows, but they still seem to be going towards that unknown when it comes to head coach. They're not interviewing Vrabel or Belichick or or some of the guys that have kind of you know put their stamp on some things, had some success elsewhere. Is that a riskier approach? I don't think that's
2: necessarily a riskier approach for a couple different reasons. If you're Atlanta and you've already spent. You know, this is the first year that Atlanta had really put a lot of cash into their roster over the last couple of seasons after tearing it down. There is some urgency there for Atlanta to win right away. And I understand looking at Bill Belichick and saying, this is our best chance to win 10 games in the division next year. If you're Washington, I understand taking it a little bit slower than that. You're going to be drafting a quarterback most likely with the second overall pick. You still have a roster that has a lot of holes. It's a, bl- it's a blank slate in a good way. You've got a ton of different resources, but this team still has a little ways to go. You know They're two or three years away from competing, and I think the biggest thing that you have to prioritize if you're Washington is the development and the ecosystem built around your young quarterback. And if you look at the job that Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel have done over the last couple of years, that's not necessarily where I would turn. I think those are guys that are better options for teams that have 2024 playoff aspirations, and justifiably so. With Washington, I can understand wanting to go a little bit younger and understanding that your runway to this thing is a little bit longer than it is for some other teams.
1: Robert May is with us on the fan. One last uh, question kind of about the offseason and coaching before we get into the playoff divisional round coming up this weekend with two games on Saturday and a pair on Sunday. The two jobs everyone's wondering about after the fallout of this past weekend, Mike McCarthy in Dallas, Nick Sirianni in Philly, Do you think either of those guys gets fired?
2: The Cowboys are so hard to pin down because for so long, people classified Jerry Jones as somebody who would make this sort of decision. He'd fire a coach after the guy won double-digit games in the division. And in reality, he's been the opposite of that. He's been very patient with his coaching decisions for the most part. Jason Garrett was there for nine years. Jason Garrett had a lot of fits and starts during his tenure there. So Jerry Jones has been more patient than I think most people give him credit for. I think the change there is that this is a competitive roster. It's a playoff caliber roster, and he's getting a little bit older. So I could understand him looking at the results at the end of the season and just saying, we need to do something to change this. We can't have these moments during the regular season that feel promising and then peter out in the playoffs and get our doors blown off every single year. Something has to change. In Philadelphia, it's just harder for me to get there. This is a team that went to the Super Bowl last year. It's only been three years of Nick Sirianni. Both of his coordinators got hired away. And that's one of the biggest differences is that Mike McCarthy sent Kellen Moore out of town. Both of Nick Sirianni's coordinators got hired away to be head coaches. So with Philadelphia specifically, I think that they have a lot of soul searching to do with some of the holes in their approach and what the offense looked like against teams that really like to bring a lot of pressure. But I think that's more about building out the staff, building up, certain answers to what your offense looks like i think firing him would be a big step that would surprise me the mccarthy one wouldn't necessarily surprise me
3: all right let's get to the games this weekend robert let's start chronological texans at ravens this texan story it feels like house money they're they play hard cj stroud's a star but you know people have been overlooking baltimore all year and they've been outstanding how do you see it
2: it's a great matchup. Uh, C.J. Stroud against this Ravens defense is maybe the thing I'm most excited to watch this weekend, just based on the way that he's playing. The problem is this Ravens defense has done a phenomenal job against offenses in this general universe. If you think about what they did against the Niners, and so many of the ideas that the Texans are trotting out come directly from that Niners offense. So, and that's the difference between the Ravens and the Browns, for example. If you look at a ton of metrics and which defense has been the best in the league this year, the Ravens and the Browns are 1-2 in pretty much anything you look at. The Browns are, an, are a defense that's easily solvable. They play a lot of man coverage. They're easily manipulatable. They're a little bit predictable. They really rode their talent to their results. The Ravens are the exact opposite of that. The Ravens are going to throw so much stuff at you. It's like a junk ball pitcher. And they've been really successful against these sorts of offenses. I mean, they faced a gauntlet in the back half of the season. They played the Niners, the Rams, the Dolphins, and now they get the Texans. And those offenses are all from kind of a similar world. And I think that Mike McDonald and that Ravens defense has answers to that sort of system that a lot of other defenses in the league just haven't been able to find this year.
1: Packers 49ers is the second game on Saturday in the primetime window. They're in San Francisco. The other of the one seeds, Green Bay blew out Dallas. This is a matchup of you know a mentor and a mentee, right? Matt LaFleur, Kyle Shanahan, we had them here in the nation's capital. And Jordan Love looks like the real deal. What do you make of this game?
2: It's hard to not be excited about what the Packers' offense looks like right now. And I say I could see them still moving the ball pretty well. They're playing at an elite level. Jordan Love's playing at an elite level. It's just hard for me to imagine this Packers' defense slowing down the Niners really at all. The Packers' defense has specific weak points, especially down the spine of it. They're rotating linebackers. They've had very few answers to safety the entire year. There is no offensive coordinator, no play caller in the NFL that is better at finding those weak points and exploiting them over and over and over again than Kyle Shanahan is. So even if it's easy to be optimistic about where the Packers' offense is, I still just think that the Niners' offense is going to have their way with Joe Barry in that unit.
3: Robert, next game on the docket, Buccaneers-Lions. I've just felt so happy for so many Lions fans that I know. Just You could feel the release and the electricity in that building. With this Tampa team, I've always liked Todd Bowles as a coach. I know he gets beat up an awful lot, especially when it comes to calling defense. They blitzed Philadelphia. It felt like every single drop back. I bet you they do something similar to try to bother Jared Goff. How do you see this one?
2: Because They played earlier this year, but it feels like this is a different sort of Bucks team than the one that we saw earlier in the season, especially on defense. They've been banged up on defense for a good chunk of the season. There were guys in and out of the lineup. Devin White got benched at one point. He's been playing much better since then. I think that some of their younger pieces defensively have really stepped up, whether that's Yaya Diaby or Kalisha Kansi. So I'll be curious to see what the game plan is from Tampa's side of this because – the Lions offense is so good, and the Lions offense is so well-designed, well-coordinated. I wonder if we're going to see a hyper-aggressive approach from Bowles where he's just saying, you know what, we're going to throw every blitz we have at them and just live and die with that sort of variance. And I think that's probably the right approach, and we'll see what happens, because Jared Goff has actually been pretty good when he's just sent extra bodies at him. So I think the Bucks' best chance here is just to kind of dirty this game up and see how it goes. I do think that the Bucks offense against the Lions' defense, that's one area where I think that the Lions' defense is playing well enough to give the Bucks problems. The Eagles' defense is such a mess right now that the Bucks move the ball pretty well. But you look back at the previous couple games that Tampa played, it's not like this offense is clicking on all cylinders. Baker Mayfield's been better than we thought he was going to be, but I think that's all relative compared to how you would look at them with the rest of the other offenses that they're going to have to play against in the NFC. It
1: brings us to the grand finale. The wait ends for Kansas City-Buffalo around earlier than we've seen it uh, and expected it maybe in the past. 6.30 East time kick on Sunday afternoon. This is the only game odds makers feel like it's going to be tight. Two-and-a-half point line, Bills favorite at home. We've never seen Mahomes go on the road in the playoffs and have to knock a team off. As much as I love the Bills, you can't be more injured than they are, especially after this past weekend. So I don't know what to do with a pick in this game. How you feeling?
2: It's really tough with them on defense. I mean, they've got injuries throughout their entire back seven, and hopefully they get closer to health than they were last week. I think Russell Douglas said he might be able to play and couldn't last week. It's only a sprained ankle for Terrell Bernard, so we'll see what the timetable on him is. That's the one thing that really makes me worry about the Bills in this game. If they were at full strength on defense, their defense has been playing much better. The offense Is so much more flexible and versatile than it's been in years past that I actually have more faith in them than I probably have compared to previous seasons. But the problem is, I think this chiefs team, we saw what they were capable of last week and the model that they were going to have to follow, if they were going to go far far in this year's playoffs compared to years past is they were going to have to lean on their running game and they were going to have to lean on their defense. And there were issues with both at times down the back half of the year but they really clicked into place last week. A guy like Trey Smith, their right guard, who had been shown a ton of flashes in his first couple of seasons, but hadn't been quite as consistent this year, he was phenomenal last week. You look at the way their defensive front, which it was a retooled unit over the last couple of years, played against that Miami offensive line. So I think we saw, in a lot of ways, the best version of this Chiefs team that we had seen all year last week against Miami, and I think that's why they may be a little bit more dangerous than people are giving them credit for.
3: you got to pick a Super Bowl matchup right now this minute. Who are you, who you selecting? I'm
2: still going with Baltimore and San Francisco. I just think they're the best teams. I think that they've been the best teams all year. I think that the, what those teams can do on offense and defense, the maturation that we've seen from the Ravens offense under Todd Mockin, obviously you're wondering a new system. you got to sort through that, figure it out. They've really come into their own. Lamar's playing fantastic football and I truly think they have the best defense in football. And then you go to the flip side, the Niners have been unbelievable this year. I think people are going to look at that game against the Ravens on Christmas and have their doubts about what Brock Purdy is and about what the offense is. But this unit down to down has been one of the best offenses of the last decade. And that didn't change because of one game. And it's not like their defense (laughs) was full of slouches either. So I still think that if we're being honest, those teams are cut above everyone else but I think that Kansas City and Buffalo are knocking on the door. And if one of those guys knocked off the Ravens next week, I would not necessarily be shocked.
1: So we'll end the conversation here, and it's kind of an odd time to follow up with this as you just picked the Ravens and the Niners to go to the Super Bowl. But if one of those two one seeds in these nine-and-a-half-point spread games were to lose, and we're talking about a stunner where the Texans or the Packers on the road are going to play for a conference championship, Which team do you think is more on upset watch if there's such a thing?
2: It's a great question. I think it's the Ravens. I think it's the Ravens just because I think C.J. Stroud is so dangerous right now. And I think that Baltimore's offense, in my opinion, is capable of kind of falling into a rut more than the Niners' offense is. I would be more surprised by the Niners' offense laying an egg against Green Bay than I would about the Ravens' offense – excuse me, I'd be, yeah, I'd be more surprised about the, the Packers off, or Niners' offense laying an egg against Green Bay than I would about the Ravens' offense laying an egg against the Texans. So I think the combination of a little bit more inconsistency from the passing game in Baltimore and what C.J. Stroud can give you makes that game slightly more
3: interesting to me. Robert, great convo, man. Really appreciate the time. Enjoy the games this weekend. Absolutely, guys.
1: Anytime. Thank you. Check him out, the athletic football show, Robert Mays on Grant and Danny here on The Fan. Next, Adam Peters yesterday, Danny, suggested that there are building blocks on this team. There are. Mm-hmm. There's a few of them, right? But he also said they got a lot of work to do. Tells me he's got a pretty good feel yeah, he gets it. with the roster. Thought we could go through and find where the building blocks are and where they've got the most work to do on their roster. So we can get into that next uh, here on D. Uh, as we talk about a new GM who's just getting his feet wet. By the way, there's no transition period for him. I was thinking about this. He has the press conference. Probably goes out to a nice dinner with a couple of, uh, you know, the, the members of the ownership group or whatever. Get some steak last night. They're doing interviews. Yeah, here's
3: your key card. Today. You're back to work,
1: man. But, I, mean, I guess his wife it starts looking for a house. I mean, I don't know how that works. But can you imagine just from a human standpoint, you got two little kids. Maybe they're young enough that they're not in school yet. But, like, that's a crazy whirlwind now where you get this job. Oh, yeah. And the, the biggest decisions you'll probably make in that job, as long as you have it. The first week. Start this week. How many jobs are like that? That's <laughs> There strange. aren't
4: many. We'll get to that next on Grant and Danny here on The Fan. I believe that there's a
3: few cornerstone pieces in this roster. I believe we have a lot of work to do, and that's just evaluating everybody. And that's going to start with the coaches. When the coaches come in, we hire a head coach. We sit down together with the personnel department, and we sit down and and evaluate everything and figure out where we need to be. So that's an ongoing process. I've I've started a little bit, but we have a lot of work to do, David.
1: That was Adam Peters at his introductory press conference yesterday. We'll get into that comment and who some of the foundational building blocks are on this commander's roster in just a moment. Welcome back to Grant and Danny on the Fan. We're about 35 minutes away from the top of the hour and the Beltway Blitz. I wanted to remind everybody that Charlie Lindgren, the Capitals top goaltender this year, will be joining us on the Beltway Blitz. We have a lengthy conversation scheduled with him, so we will give you the latest on some of the other teams you care about in town. To kick off the segment, we'll go rapid fire. And then we'll leave the meat of the bone in that segment for Lindgren to talk about his really impressive year with the Caps. He's been unreal. Climbed to the top of the depth chart ahead of Darcy Kemper. Although last night was a lot of fun. I was out out at Capital One Arena. A lot of listeners last night. Caps, Nats, and all the – you go to local games around here, there's a lot of listeners there, obviously. But uh, they were out and about last evening, so good talking to a bunch of you guys yesterday. And a much-needed win for the Capitals. It's a bad Ducks team. You can't lose that game. They didn't have maybe their best player and one of their best offensive talents. You just got to get two points. I would have liked for it not to have been one nothing going into empty net time, but uh, Tom Wilson made sure w- finished two nothing. Uh, it could have been worse. I mean, they, yeah. they they almost scored three or four times and didn't. The Ducks didn't have much going for much of the first two periods, but that one Darcy Kemper toe save on a yeah. reaction was pretty special. He made a couple of massive saves. Otherwise, it was kind of clean in front of him. But a 24-save shutout will make you feel really good when you need it. Indeed.
3: No style points right now for the Caps. I don't think they've got style points in them. This is, this is you know, Dale Hunter would be proud. This is grimy, dirty, we're winning this thing, you know,
1: one nothing. They're not scoring much. No, they don't. They don't uh, do that. Here's some good news. I heard carbs on the junks today. Spencer Carberry said Alex Ovechkin <laughs> could be back in their next game. So they play tomorrow night against the Blues, and then they play Saturday against the Blues. He said Ovi's oh, going to play either Thursday or Saturday. He'll play in one of those games. He'll return from his lower body injury that they haven't really given as they do in hockey. Any information on,
3: you don't have much information there from
1: the hockey injury. Uh, but can I say this about Spencer Carberry? You're allowed. So my number one seed for post-game locker room speeches right now is Dan Campbell. In fact, Darius, if you can grab Dan Campbell, I tweeted a video. I don't know if he cursed or not. You might have to just give that a quick listen. Um, and maybe they would have already bleeped it out if, if the Lions put it out, but my number one coach in a post-game winning locker room speaker right now is Dan Campbell. I just think he it's him in his element at his best. Maybe it's just because I'm a sucker and I love the guy. I get steamed up for carbs after a win. To me, his, his here's his bit. This is what I've gleaned. He goes around the room and just says things that he liked about the game mm-hmm. in a way that, like, you and I, when we do the Attaboys Boys segment or Game Balls and Gassers, he's like, hey, I wanted to say doubter, way to lay out in front of that puck and take one off the shins. And everyone's like, yeah. yeah. And he's like, Lindgren, I thought you had a real good effort there behind the net, made sure we got the puck out clean. Yeah. And he'll just, like, reference six or seven things that went well in the game. Then he'll toss a puck to somebody, and everyone will go nuts. I like carbs, post-game winning Speeches. I think he's good at it. Good observation by you. I'll take yeah. that. Yeah.
3: That's, Cash's that's still a good job putting those out. It's an underrated skill, by the way. You know, it's where it's like, I, I could picture so many different times where we won the game and it's, yep. Okay. See you guys tomorrow. You know, make sure you dress for the bus. It's like, come on.
1: This was MCDC, Motor City Dan Campbell, after the Lions advanced to round two of the NFL playoffs.
5: We play next Sunday back here at home, guys. Yeah! All right, we got the winner of Tampa and Philly, which is tomorrow, we'll be here at 3 o'clock, back at Ford Field, because you guys earned it. Dude, how electric was it out there? I'm telling you what, it doesn't get any better. It's everything you dream of, and then more. All right, that's outstanding work. I got two game balls. All right, number one, listen, when you, when you come in three years ago, like me and this guy did, and you had a vision, and you start working together, and you've got an idea how you want to build it, and the type of players you're looking for, and how you want to go top to bottom, offense, defense, special teams, and you're in lockstep. You're in lockstep. I'm telling you guys, it's a shitty business. It ain't always perfect, but we we do a pretty good job. (laughs) (laughs) But without this guy right here, man, Brad Holmes.
1: He gives the game ball to the GM, Brad Holmes. He goes on to throw a game ball to Jared Goff as well, but he's got it. Now, Dan Campbell's one of these guys, and I have not really had my full voice in about a month, so I know what this, I think after September, when the season starts, he never has his voice.
3: Permanently hoarse.
1: He just always he's Mr. Ed. yeah, like he's about to lose his voice. Football guy. He the The, the
3: ultimate football guy. You just casually drop an F-bombs in there that don't serve a purpose. You know, (laughs) He's he's all over it. If
1: if there was a mayor of football, he could run for it, probably. He is such a football cowboy. Speaking of football, I saw this last night. I just wanted to bounce this off of you. Did you know, and it doesn't look like it's going to go through, California had a bill to ban tackle football among kids under 12. I had no idea we were already here. I was watching a game with a couple buddies a few weeks back. And as generally happens with those of us that have kids, mm-hmm. is that so are you going to let your kid play football? And I was like, well, I think we we have enough information now that I probably am not going to have him play as a real young kid. You know, as he gets older, it'll be up to him as he gets into school or whatever, but we'll do flag football probably. And I think that is the preferred way to do it. That's, totally. I'm not telling anyone how they should live their lives. That's probably what I'm going to do. I think you can learn a lot of the same lessons, playing flag and tackle football, avoid some of the head trauma. but Maybe I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth. I find it crazy that they would not allow people to play football. Like, There's a difference between saying flag football seems like a good alternative and a good option. And no one under 12 can play football. But reading from this story on the Associated Press, again, I guess we're delving a little bit into politics here. I I promise I just want to talk about football. We'll be okay. I'm just going to read the story. It'll be okay. Everyone put your big boy and big girl pants on and don't get mad at me. The proposal for from Democratic Assembly member Kevin McCarthy. I don't think it's BDK. It's not. Is he's, it, a, he's a guy
3: I love. Christopher Nolan movies. Is it a different guy?
1: <laughs> yeah. He immediately just starts talking about it's how. It's like Independence Day 2 in IMAX. You should see movies <laughs> in IMAX. Uh, this guy, Kevin McCarthy, would have been, and it's not the other guy, Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, right? This Former is, Speaker of the House, yeah. The, the, so there's another one? There's three of these guys? I think they make a bunch of Kevin McCarthy's, by the way. Man. I think you sleep. Who knew? Um, that'd be quite a heel turn, by the way, if the other Kevin McCarthy was the Democratic Assembly member in California. That would be a now. hilarious bit, by the way. <laughs> right? Like, not the movie guy, but the politician. Yeah. Anyway. Or either one would be good. I'm over Kevin McCarthy in it. Uh, McCarty, I think I'm botching it. There's no H. So all of my banter was no good. Ooh. Yeah, that's tough for Hate me. Hate to see it. Kevin McCarty is his name. But he would have been able to push this thing through, I guess. And then it would gradually be phased in through 2029. Last week, a legislative committee sent the bill to the floor for the state assembly, clearing the way for a vote by the end of the month. But even if the bill were to pass, so the governor of California's guy named Gavin Newsom, Newsom's pledge not to sign it means this is little, if any, chance now for this thing to go through. Uh, He was on record, I guess, within the last 48 hours saying he will not sign this bill. Quote, I will not sign the legislation that bans youth tackle football. I'm deeply concerned about the health and safety of our young athletes, but an outright ban is not the answer. What's your initial reaction to the fact? I feel like a year or two ago, we were talking about how kids won't be playing football in, in in a decade. There was a state that was trying to have it now, that if you're 10 or 11, no football for you. Yeah, it's
3: coming. I really believe that. I, I do. I, th- I think it's going to be, it starts with any kind of, you know, I don't have a better term for this, but like a a smaller movement, like a minority movement, where it's seen as outrageous. Then enough talking heads, enough people, enough things, and it'll gain momentum, and then it'll be ubiquitous. That's how we get to new places. That's how that's how something that seemed crazy 10 years ago is now just normal as part of our parlance, society, the way we talk to each other, et cetera. Some of that is very, very good, like the evolution of language, and it makes a lot of sense, and we're trying to be sensitive to people. That's, that's smart. But this is one of those things that's, that was a fringe idea a handful of years ago that will be 100% ubiquitous in about a decade. I I would, if I to, could to clarify, bet on it, I would.
1: Meaning no tackle football among kids. That is correct.
3: You're going to have, not every state will do that, but you're going to have a, a bunch of states that so will. So I,
1: I guess that's fair. I could see states individually mm-hmm. maybe saying you have to be a certain age. But do you think, like this one happened to be under 12. Do you think that's kind of where the bar stops? Or do, like my concern, mm-hmm. I'll be that guy for a second. Go ahead. The reason I'll lock arms with my football lovers and and hate this idea is then what? Okay, so now no one 11 and under can play football. Do we just stop there? Or eventually what about 13 year olds? What about 15 year olds? Like in 100 years, I don't know, I'm going to go full Kyle Shanahan here. We don't even know if we're going to be alive in a week. How can we worry about that? Remember the the benching oh, I remember, yeah. of Jimmy Garoppolo? But Again, like hundred years, the NFL still exists, right? It just mm-hmm. makes too much money. Yeah, without th- doubt, th- they can't ever take that from us.
3: No, and and here's the thing: as long as it's an avenue for people to make outrageous sums of money playing a game, there'll be enough. There'll be enough critical masses trying to get in. the The beauty, the the way the NFL works is it's got a free, you know, sort of unlimited pool of labor to pick from. So there are thousands and thousands and thousands of football players who all have the same dream of making millions as a, as a pro football player. So the NFL don't have to do anything on research, development, you know, uh, uh, training up prospects. There's no minor leagues for football. The minor leagues is college football you where just they're sit now paid there and
1: everybody comes yeah, to you. Where it's like, oh, the bowl games on. I'll be. We'll pick one, a handful of these guys. But I think because they own a day of the week, one of the seven, they own it in the fall when they play, and because billions and billions of billions of dollars are printed by the NFL at this mm-hmm. point. Every single year, like they're, they're powerful enough that they're safe, but I I guess I just, I don't know how to say it other than I saw this story and went, whoa, we're further down the road of like whatever that anti-football sentiment is than maybe I anticipated. And I fully am aware of head trauma and CTE and, and we'll find out 10 or 12 years from now that while I think I'm aware and we all think we're pretty aware of what's going on, we probably don't have even the information that we'll have then, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Where I am now as a football viewer is all you can do is educate the players and they have to decide if they want in or out. If you're a linebacker like Chris Borland in San Francisco yep. was like this awesome rookie and then retired the year after, he Is the that's up to you, man. That's as far as I kind of want to go with it is here's the information. Yeah, as, now you're a grown-up. You're an adult. Make an informed you're choice. You're getting paid a lot of money. That isn't to say, though, that at, at a young age you don't have to protect kids. Like, point blank for me. What I want, my my son is three. Am I going to have him play ankle-biter football when he's six? I'm not going to sit here today and tell you definitely not. It's very possible that he would. But I think I will try to guide him toward flag football. I mean, if your kid comes to you today well, and says... But,
3: but are you really, do you really have to guide somebody when they're, like, five or six? Don't you just sign them up and that's what they do?
1: Yeah, I guess. But I'm saying if he really wanted to play, oh, like, see. peewee tackle football, mm-hmm. I'd assume I would be like, no, we're going to play flag. If he, I mean, I played t- tackle football at that age. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. if your kid came to you and said he wanted to play tackle football right now, would you say no? Yeah, it's no. Yeah.
3: It, that's there's it's no. And
1: the you know the, the
3: reasons for that are, are myriad. Everybody's got to make their so own you probably, so choice. Then
1: th- you don't have a problem that California is trying to. Ban. No, I
3: do. I, I I I want. I like to make my decisions. You you let you okay, let so me make mine. Same yeah. as
1: like you don't like betting on sports. You're not betting on NFL games typically. But you think people? I'd like should to be able to. to.
3: If if I'm if I'm moved tomorrow to to go throw some money down, I should be allowed to. Yeah, that's, that, that's my view on it. So the but I'm telling you because as as data rolls in as we kind of figure more and more and more out, there's going to be that push. I'm just I, I don't know how to say it better than that. Like that, this is inevitable to me. I agree with where that. they're, they're going to start basically legislating to say we we're your betters. We know better than you. You can't be left to make your own decision. We're going to take it away from me because of, the, because of the danger.
1: I think that's true. There are still tackle football leagues in this area for very young kids, right? Like if you're six, can you hmm. only play flag football in Fairfax right now? I don't now know, or actually. Or Loudoun County or in Montgomery County? Or can you still go play like the peewee football that we were playing growing up? Did you play football at all as a Just kid? Just one season of
3: peewee. Okay. Because I was too busy with, with every other sport. So I, you know, so, I don't know how the youngest you can be. I mean, I know that when you start to get into middle school, they had like, uh, they used to have, you know, 105 or less versus unlimited. You know, they did it by weight. So, yeah, like, some big diesel seventh grader who was 125 pounds, you know, at 5'5 five five wasn't going up against like, you know, uh, puberty Peter that yeah. hadn't had a chance yet. The guy with the,
1: yeah. Charlie Lindgren's mustache. Yeah, he's getting knocked into next week. What's your line of demarcation for, like, my mind, I'm thinking in maybe JV is when i would say yeah you could go play tackle football but through ideally middle school we'll do like passing camps and flag football mm-hmm. and stuff
3: latest data that now again this could change my this is my current view though is they say sort of age 16 typically is when a lot of you know skull stuff brain formation some of the cells uh are more mature that's junior year of high school totally. for some people a lot of, yeah sophomore for a lot of guys junior for other guys if that's your educated decision we could certainly talk about it i'm that's we're now pat like we're still in, we're getting close to the end, but we're still in a you're gonna do something youth sports-wise. I don't care what it is. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna get out of the house and not be on Roblox and we're gonna do something.
1: We'll figure it out whatever hey, you like. Here's the problem with that, and you know this better than I do. Mm-hmm. If your friends are doing something, totally it gets really difficult. Totally. My dad won't let me play football all your buddies are playing football. Mm-hmm. And also, like a lot of these schools in some of these counties now in this area. If you're not playing middle school JV like coming up with that group, mm-hmm. you're way behind. Now, I'm Infinally. not saying that that's why you make the decision. It's just easy for me to sit in the studio right now and tell you what I'm going to do with my kid who's totally. 3,
3: but yeah, what what their peers are doing is super influential. So, for example, totally. there's one kid that I see, you know, going to this school, uh where my kids go, that has any kind of interest in football. Everybody else is wearing a soccer jersey all the time. Nothing but Messi this and Manchester that and and Newcastle this one a place I've never been. That's what they care about. They're, they're all soccer all the time.
1: Roy Kent fans. <laughs> I love Roy Kent. Roy Kent. Roy <laughs> Kent. Double play is next. What's going on in our lives? Nothing to do with sports. If you have a reaction to our conversation, by the way, or any thoughts on what we're just talking about with youth football, we'd love to hear from some people that have more information on it uh, in their lives that, than I do in this area. 800-636-1067. We're going blitzing. Charlie Lindgren of the Capitals stopping by top of the hour at 4 on GND. Looking forward to talking to Charlie Lindgren at the top of the hour when we go blitzing right at 4 o'clock. Jay Gruden's on the show today at 5, and Mark Schlereth's weekly Wednesday appointment will preview the NFL slate ahead. And some of the coaching vacancies, try to find some fits with Mark Schlereth coming up at 6. That's when we're giving away another pair of Wizards tickets. It's a great game. You're going to see Joker at Capital One Arena, so if you want those tickets, you better be listening at 6 o'clock. Before we get to our double play, a couple people wanted to hop in on our convo on youth football, uh, a proposed ban in California of anybody under 12 years old playing tackle football. The governor, Gavin Newsom, uh, says he's going to shoot this down. He's not going to force it through. He's not going to allow it to go through. So for now, I guess uh, there's not going to be any states banning it, but it's 2024, barely, and you're already seeing this. Danny and I were uh, reacting to that news. Michael is in the district. What's up, Michael?
4: Hey guys, um, my name is Michael and I'm an older guy. I'm 74, almost 75 years old. I went to college on a football scholarship. I'm an African-American male. I chose my career as I was eventually became commissioner for Pop Warner football. And what I saw was a demographic shift, not shift from, from, from African-Americans, shift from old from richer communities who decided once the CT information came out, they were going to make the decision. They couldn't make that decision for their children, that they were no longer going to play football. And the Post has done a series on this where the demographics have totally shifted. It has not shifted in the urban community. When I was commissioner, I already had eight, already had eight tens and on up. The pressure on me was for six-year-olds. I did not want that. I got pressured into it. Why? Because in our community, scholarships are still viewed as a way to to better yourself through football, football and basketball. That's the way to go to college. It was was worse when I came up in the 60s, but it's not a whole lot better now. It's still a priority for these young children, black males, young black children, to play football and get scholarships. It's just that kind of pressure. It's not the same kind of pressure in other communities. And that's what I want to get across. Um, the demographic the stories in the post, I would urge everyone to go back and look at it might be interested interested in this subject matter. I too was surprised about what happened in California. And yes, I do agree it's gonna happen more, but there's gonna be a divide from the urban communities versus suburban communities on the topic. Thanks for letting me talk. Appreciate
3: you, man. Thank you. I, I wouldn't now obviously I couldn't speak to that specific experience, but it's I wouldn't say it's just urban. I think it's probably all around the country. There are, there are places like that aren't urban at all in Texas, where it is that, that'll never get banned. They're, they'll have the pop Warner kids out there pads thumping late into the Friday nights. When I visited, uh, uh, or went on my dude's trip in uh, middle of Arizona, Friday Night Lights. Man, we we happened to be there and watch some of these kids out there tackling each other in full speed, and it was it was a sort of a lifestyle thing. So there are going to be places that aren't just what he's talking about. I, I do think that's a thing, by the way. It's absolutely a phenomenon but there's also places where it's intrinsic and ingrained that you're just not going to see it go away Yeah, that was soon.
1: very enlightening and it's I mean he's living it. He's talking totally. about as a Absolutely. commissioner and what he sees and, and on committees for youth football. To me it may be less I I think to, what resonated with me there and seeing some of the post stuff if you have the means where maybe the scholarship isn't necessary or it's some kind of a socioeconomic thing, right, where uh, the, the priority may not be on the scholarship. We could see people with those options playing football less, if that's what he's saying. I think there's probably something to be said for that. But I just wonder where the line is, where at some point it becomes a big problem for the NFL. If you're sitting here saying, that yeah, my kid's not going to play football. Now, what about in high school? We could talk about that. Okay. But also, my
3: son's in no danger of going to the NFL.
1: Exactly. But if me and you and CK were all sitting here and we're going, yeah, I'd rather my kid not play, we'll see. You know, that's kind of our thought. Mm-hmm. My point is, how many people have to be thinking like that before it is a problem for the NFL? Because when I was a kid and you were a kid and our boss was a kid, and this was not even a conversation. I wanted to play football. It was just like playing basketball or baseball or anything else. What about hockey, which is a violent physical sport? We, we you know, what about. Um, the lacrosse or anything else where there are collisions and, and different things happening. I, I, are they next? I, I think that's a fair conversation to have too. Hicks in Arlington, you're on G and D. What's up?
6: Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Come hey in. Um, yeah, I coach high school football and I've, in my experience we get a lot of good athletes and I mean I feel like it's more important to kind of play other sports growing up, like soccer, basketball. You're building other skills. And you're also feeling like this field space. I get a lot of guys that come out. And they're actually better football players because they know how to take better angles from playing soccer because they played all these other sports. They catch balls better because they're used to going through, you know, cutting through the hole playing basketball. So they're better receivers. So I think, you know, as far as the maturity level, eighth to ninth grade is probably a great time to start. Um, to be honest, though, you know, I watch some of those Pop Wonder games. Those guys don't hit each other hard enough, really, to have like as big enough concussions that I see. I mean, as long as they're playing the weight limits. But uh, I think eighth to ninth grade is really a good time to start. And you get a lot of kids that get scholarships you know, into college and don't start football until eighth or ninth grade. So, I mean, I don't think Pop Warner is super necessary on the younger levels unless it is one of those kind of family things. And my dad played college football, and he didn't let me play until eighth grade. So, you know, it's, it's each their own, I guess.
1: Appreciate dude. And I think that was kind of our point, too. With mm-hmm. the, the ban, it wouldn't be to each their own, right? To the ban, it's just I live here, to, so yeah, no, one. no one can play. <laughs> Which I, right. I don't love, but I do think there's something to being able to use the information at your disposal and do what's best for yeah, you and we should be making
3: we should be making informed choices all the time. I just that, that's in all walks of life at all times. We, we should be that's what we should be doing.
1: Also, it just takes a collision too. I mean, when we say there's probably not a lot of big helmet to helmet hits in youth football, or they're not running that fast or hitting that hard. It takes just an awkward collision. It takes landing and hitting your head backwards, and you, you get your bell wrong. Like the idea of how fast someone's going and how hard they're hitting you can't avoid that we we found out even at the nfl level that practices with those little concussive mm-hmm. it, it's not like you actually get a concussion but the banging of the helmets yep. at the line of scrimmage in practice that's why they wear these shells now that that's worse in some cases than getting drilled by a safety helmet to helmet
3: well it's also translated to, to other sports too right where you know the the minor Trauma that adds up to the big trauma, which is kind of the nature of the uh, of the CTE and, and those investigations and some of the data and science that it has gone that way. It's led to soccer leagues banning headers for kids until they get to a certain age. That that was ubiquitous. Hit you, the
1: balls bouncing. Are and kids I- allowed to do headbutt like in the league? Your kids are. Uh huh. No, there's no heading of the ball. Really? Yeah. That, I, I mean, a- I knew that was it. I know that that's a thing, and it's been written about, and Abby Wambach's big on that. I didn't know that was actually already a rule at the youth level.
3: It's not for a couple of years I think that they'll eventually be allowed to, and there's some science behind it. We're all doing the best we can finding out the data, but it's something where they, A, they want you to emphasize being able to use your foot skills and pass and run and do all those sorts of things, but they also don't – they want to limit those head-to-head contact or head-contact type things.
1: Mm. Beltway Blitz is Next. We'll give you a couple of thoughts on the local teams and then Charlie Lindgren uh, is who we're going to major in talking to in the Beltway Blitz, the Caps goalie moments away on the fan.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.